Welcome to Good Guy Grant's podcast. It's mad decent. This is the Good Guy Grant podcast. I'm your host, Grant. Coming up on today's show, we'll dive in to look at a little bit of financial numbers when it comes to new stadiums and everything in sports in general. We'll look at the fight purses for UFC. I'll keep you updated on the MLB standings as well. First and foremost, you know, I like to do stats and everything to kind of talk about it, but I want to talk about what a reporter said about the Reds, and I'll also talk about what a reporter said about uh, the McGregor thing here in a little bit. So the reporter for the Reds, who runs the Reds account, was tweeting the other day about how, you know, the Reds have won a series against every team in the division, you know, the Pirates, you know, the Cubs, the St. Louis, everything like that. But how is it the Reds are still six games back in the division? You know, they're over 500, things like that. But when you look at the Reds' record over these games, you know, it's, they're beating teams that they should. For instance, you know, they, they had the win last night, in July, uh, Friday, July 9th, against the Brewers, two nothing, good win. You know, Wade Miley pitched pretty well. I was at the FC Cincinnati game, um, so you know, excuse me if my voice is not these as high as it is. But when you look at the Red Series, they took two out of three from Kansas City. Kansas City's awful. They swept the Cubs. The Cubs are awful. They lost two out of three against the good Padres team. And then they split against the Braves, who were having a down year. Lost all four against the Padres. Split against the Twins, who were absolutely terrible as well. They beat Milwaukee, that's fine. But then they beat Colorado. So if you look at the red schedule, they're beating bad teams. And so these reporters are trying to suck you in and say, man, the Reds are coming back. You know, They're going to do this. They're going to make playoffs, blah, blah, blah. Look at who they beat. They're beating bad teams. When it comes to good teams, you know, it's either 50-50 or under 50%. That's not good. So just to watch out for, if you're a reporter, I'm tired of hearing about that. You know, if the Reds make, I've, I've said this before, if the Reds make the playoffs, you know, wild card playoffs, you know, I'll be a happy guy. But don't sit there and try to sell me on a product that's not good and not good enough to where it should be. You know, I've said this before. The blueprint of a team. If you are a small market team, like the Reds, or any other team, Brewers, whatever. Do what the Tampa Bay Rays do year in and year out. Draft really well. Develop your players. Sell high instead of paying big money for contracts. How is it that the Tampa Bay Rays have been to the World Series multiple times since they've come into existence? And for Reds fans, you're trying to sell me on a... As a Reds fan, excuse me. Ownership of this team is trying to sell me on all of this. So when you look at the Reds' history, the draft history, right? They drafted Yonder Alonso, 2008. Bust. Devin Mazzaracco, one all-star game. I think he was a bust for a lot of his year. Drew Stubbs, first round pick, bust. That was in 2006. Yasmani Grandal, he plays for the Dodgers. The Reds didn't get the most out of him. He left. Robert Stevenson, 2011, bust. Nick Charveso, bust, 2012. 
Philip Irvin, 2013, bust. Nick Howard, bust. Tyler Stevenson, he's sharing catcher duty with um, the Reds catcher right now. Um, and I don't know why his name's escaping me right off the bat. I'm trying to remember. It's, uh, shit. The Reds catcher is Tucker Barnhart. Yep, that's it. I think about it for a minute. I don't know why. Nick Senzel. He's not a guy that teams are afraid of. He was first round pick. Hunter Green, he's throwing over 100 miles an hour in AAA. Great. He already had Tommy John surgery once. Jonathan India. He's hitting. Okay. But he's not a player who intimidates you. Nick Lodoto, 2019 first round pick. Not hearing a lot. Austin Hendricks, not hearing a lot for 2020. You have to draft well. You have to develop players well. You can't just go into a season like the Reds are and sell people on a product. Just because you're over 500 doesn't mean you're any good. You know, you're beating bad teams. And I said this before. I think I tweeted it. Look at the Reds bullpen and tell me a lot of names that you would recognize. Brad Barach. He's a reliever. Who the hell? Sean Doolittle. Past his prime. Amir Garrett. Left-handed specialist. Heath Hembry. Ryan Hendricks. Josh Osich. Sino Perez. Art Warren. That is the Reds bullpen. They have a history of taking guys who basically didn't do well in other teams. Mark Wohler's perfect example. And tried to say, you know, I could fix this guy. He's going to be really good. He'll give us the innings we need. Instead of developing arms and getting talented arms in there, like the Tampa Bay Rays do. When you look at the Rays, and you look at the Oakland A's, are another perfect team. They have a ton of pitching. A ton. Farm system, stocked. Why is that? They draft well. They develop players. I'll, re I'll regress. I'll go to the next topic. So, I, w I, was like, I was at the FC Cincinnati game last night, right? They played the crew. It was tied 2-2. They, you know, they got a point. I was pissed. FC Cincinnati was up 2-0. Crew were down a player. Crew still came back, tied the game. And I thought, I thought about it for a minute. You know, I live in the Columbus area. The crew got just got a new stadium. They opened it up a couple weeks ago. And I was in the men's room when I was at the FC Cincinnati game, and I was pissing, and I heard a guy talk about how great the state, new stadium is in Columbus, blah, blah, blah. And I, was, I kept thinking, I was like, does he realize how much taxpayers are paying for these new stadiums? For instance, the new stadium of the crew, right? $314 million. That's for the crew stadium. This is MLS, right? The city as a whole paid over 200 million of that. Yeah, so they paid over half for this stadium. Where does that come out of? Taxpayers dollars. Jimmy Haslam when he bought the crew from Precord said you know, we're going to bring a winning culture. We're going to bring this to Columbus. We're going to bring the city what they deserve. And he talked about how, you know, Ohio State's not going to be the only team in Columbus anymore with the buzz. Jimmy Haslam's a billionaire, right? He owns the Browns. He, you know, he owns a lot of Pile of Flying J. 
That's where he gets. That's how he became a billionaire was by Lafon J. What these owners do is they buy up these teams, or they relocate them, things like that. I'll go over relocation as well. So Jimmy Haslam comes in, he buys the crew. He says, "All right, you know, I want to buy the crew from Precourt." Precourt's like, "All right, you know, I want this." And they're like, "Okay." Jimmy Haslam, you know, he has a couple billion. That's his net worth. Says, all right, I'll buy it. But he goes to the city after buying the team. And he doesn't own the team fully. Anytime an owner buys it from another owner, they make payments installments. Like, for instance, I remember... Who was it? It was the... It was an old owner that died, right? But he had sold the team to somebody else. And paperwork came out and said that new owner hasn't paid fully off the debt to buy the new team. I can't remember who it is off the top of my head. But that's what these owners do. So, for instance, Jimmy Haslam bought the crew. He didn't pay that full amount right off the bat. And then what Jimmy Haslam does, and, oh, and it's not just Jimmy Haslam, a lot of owners do this. He goes up to the city after he, owns, he technically owns the team and says... You know, my stadium that I have here in Columbus, the old one, is crap. We need a new one. And the city says, alright, but you have to pay X amount of dollars. So if the city's paying $200, you are paying $114. That's $114 million. Jimmy Haslam says, alright, instead of it taking out of his own pocket, Jimmy Haslam goes to a bank and says, you know, I want to take out a bank loan for $114 million. This is what it's for. You know, I'm willing to pay 15% up front, you know, that way it covers the cost, and then I'll make payments and installments every month. The city says, all right, or I'm sorry, the bank says, all right, here's a 30-year lease. It's like buying a house. You technically, yeah, your name's on your house, but you haven't paid it off. So it's not fully yours, right? The same way with the car, things like that. So for that $114 million that Jimmy Haslam wanted, even though he's a billionaire and has it, and he has plenty of it. He doesn't pay it right away. He makes payments installments like you do for a house every month. Because when you look at who owns the Columbus Crew Stadium, the city does, right? It's listed under the city. And the thing that bothers me about this, as a taxpayer, and as you as a taxpayer as well, that $200 million that the city paid for Crew Stadium could be going towards other upgrades in the city, right? You know, upgraded schools, you know, the roads, things like that. Bring more attractions to the city in terms of things that are going to educate people. Invest in hospitals that do upgrades for them. Like Grand Hospital is a perfect example. They're dated as electronics. Upgrade that as a city. But instead, the city says, all right, here's $200 million for your for your stadium, for the crew. And they they wait for the rest of it in installments, you know, the 114. And it's just, it's shit, and it happens way too much. Like, for instance, the Raiders, right, when they moved to Oakland to Vegas, they got $750 million in public funding 
on a $1.1 billion move for Allegiant Stadium, which is where the Raiders play in Vegas, and to move that team. So out of $1.1 billion, the city paid $750 million of that. Al Davis is on the hook for the rest, which is, let me do my math, oh, a little over $250 million, right? Al Davis goes to the, or Mark Davis, excuse me, Al Davis died. Mark Davis goes to a bank, says, all right, all right, bank person, I need a uh, 30-year loan for $250 million or a little bit more than that. But I want to make installment payments. The bank says, all right, you know, you got this collateral, you got this much, blah, blah, blah. And it happens all the time. Like the L.A. Rams, Dan Kroenke did the same thing when he moved from St. Louis to L.A. L.A. picked up a ton of the bill. Like I said, when Oakland, when the Raiders moved from Oakland to uh, Vegas, when the crew got a new stadium, things like that. And then what the the interesting part about this is, ten years down the road, give or take, you know the stadiums get wear and tear. Like I said, it's like a house, shit happens. The owner goes up to the city and says. You know, really need a new uh, scoreboard. You know, ours is really dated, things like that. Jimmy Haslam did that with the Browns. When the Browns got that new state, that new scoreboard, the city of Cleveland actually paid for it. My solution to this as a whole is these owners need to be held accountable. You know, we don't have owners like how the, you know, the Steelers have the Roonies. They own that stadium. They own everything in the team because they've been around for so long my solution to this is the owners if you want to buy a team if you're a billionaire things like that if you're steve ballmer or whatever you should have to pay out of your own pocket 60 percent up front and then the other 40 can be you know in installments or you know the city to cover a little bit but the city the fact that the cities are covering over half of this in multiple locations is absolutely absurd because it's taking money out of cities the crew didn't draw dick when you look at it before they got the new stadium and everybody's like yeah man you know we're the crew's gonna you know jump up and they're gonna do this blah 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 with this new stadium it's really gonna be great things like that but what people don't seem to understand and it's not just the crew in terms of this. So in 2020, right? And again, I'll, I'll take COVID into account. Columbus crew were 14th out of 21 in attendance. 14th. In 2019, this is before the pandemic, FC Cincinnati was third, right? The Columbus crew were 21st out of 24. That was in 2019. So that was before the pandemic even started. But you're telling me this city as a whole, and I'll even look in 2018 as well. 2018, the crew were dead last in attendance. They only drew 12,447. So that was three years ago. So you're not even the top five, top 10 in attendance in the MLS. But you want a new stadium and you're saying, yeah, man, I can draw these people in, blah, blah, blah. And people say, you know, the stadium was dated. You know, it was in a bad area. They come up with excuses to why they need a new stadium. And it's horseshit. It is. It's complete horseshit. 
Uh, for people who don't know, there is a UFC fight again. It seems like there's a UFC card like every goddamn weekend. The UFC card this weekend has Conor McGregor going against Dustin Poirier. Poirier, excuse me. Let's get that mixed up for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, this is the third time they fought. McGregor won the first. Poirier won the second. And now the third is Saturday, July 10th, right? It's in Vegas. What caught my eye is the fact that Conor McGregor, right, before the pay-per-view uh, revenue, right, is only making $2.2 million. Poirier is getting about 500k. The thing that bothers me the most about this, yes, Conor McGregor will get, you know, the pay-per-view buy money, things like that. That's fine. But the thing that that irks me is the comments Dana White said. So, this was Dana White on July 9th. He said Saturday night, and he's talking about the UFC 264 on July 10th. Saturday night is going to be insane. He said fucking insane. Most celebrities ever at an event in the last 20 years. Most pre-buys ever. So all of you out there, if you know that you're going to watch the fight on Saturday night, buy it now. Don't wait till Saturday when 3 million other people are trying to do it and you're having a hard time getting it in. We got the most pre-buys ever right now. So that tells me Dana White is going to make another killing off this. But you're making all this money, right? But your main person on your card is making 2.2 million. Now that's a lot of money to, you know, your average person. That's fine. But 2.2, you're giving Conor McGregor as of right now. Again, that's not taking into account pay-per-view buys. He gets a little percentage, things like that. But Dana White gets his cut. We've talked about this before on the first episode. Dana White is stealing money, basically, from these fighters. The fighters are doing all the... They're doing the press conferences. They're you know, selling the fight. They're doing the actual fighting. But Dana White's making over 80% of the money. How is that okay, in a sense? You know, John Jones already came out, former UFC MMA guy, said, you know, Dana White needs to increase what he's paying for me to come back. How is it most of these fighters are making more money in boxing than UFC? But people try to tell me, well, UFC's better than boxing. No, that's not true. That's crap. Conor McGregor made $100 million to fight Floyd Mayweather in boxing. Ben Askren made more money in a boxing ring than he did in his entire UFC career. Anderson Silva just made a few million bucks to fight an exhibition in boxing. And he didn't get hit very much. But you're selling me on a product, though, and telling me, yeah, UFC's better. UFC's better. Why does Dana White make all the money? Why is it okay to have a, and I'll use this as quotes, a communist system to where one guy controls everything, like Dana White, 
and he doesn't pay his fighters what they should be getting paid. I'll use an example for your average worker, right? When you go into work and you're working, you're doing all the grunt work, things like that. Think about this. I worked for a company years back. The CEO of this company, his bonus by itself, just a bonus, it wasn't his even salary, was $2.2 million a year. So we're doing all the grunt work, and this dude's making a bonus of 2.2. It's the same way with, with Dana White. It's corporate America, basically. The grunt workers do all the work, and the bigwigs make all the money. And Dana White's basically doing that with UFC. And people are like, well, boxing, you do that someday. Boxing, they're paying their fighters more. You don't understand that. Floyd Mayweather just made over $100 million in an exhibition where he barely got touched. Mike Tyson made $25 million in the exhibition. Freaking Riddick Bowe's coming back to make money. Things like that. But you're sitting there telling me UFC has a better product and Dana White's a better dude. No. Dana White is ripping off these people. And the fighters who are the ones coming out against it, they already have their money in the bank. So they don't have to worry about you know the repercussions, things like that. The fighters that have not secured the money they need to retire or live a comfortable life, things like that, have not. So they're like, yeah, I'll jump in. Let's do UFC, blah, blah, You know the health insurance they pay is shit. And Dana White's going to make over 80% of the money. You know, I'll do it, blah, 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 because, you know, I need the money. If I'm a UFC fan, think about that for a second. You won't. Because all you give a shit is to watch somebody, you know, get their ass kicked, get submitted, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to just talk about that for a second. We'll look at MLB and standings to end the show today. Again, appreciate everybody listening. You follow me on Twitter, GoodGuyGrant1. You can like the Facebook page at GoodGuyGrant Podcast. MLB standings as of right now on July the 10th. You got Boston in the American League East, 55 and 34, or two and a half. Up on the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 52 and 36. Toronto is nine games back, as well as the Yankees. Baltimore, ew, 26 games back. Gross. Told you guys before the season started, Baltimore will be terrible. American League Central, you got the White Sox in first, 52 and 35. Seven and a half up on the Indians. The Indians are really struggling. I saw there was a rumor they're thinking about trading Jose Ramirez. The Tigers, 13 games back in that division. You got the American League West. You got the Houston Astros, 54 and 35. Oakland, still 10 games over 500, but they're four and a half back. Mariners, 47, 42, seven back. Otani for the Angels, who's they're basically carrying this team. They're one game over 500, and he's having that kind of season. Wow. The National League East. You got the Mets, 46 and 38. They're four and a half up on the Braves, who are 43 and 44. So every, every team in that division besides the Mets is under 500. Yikes. It's not good. But the interesting part about that division is everybody in that division has a winning record at home. Even the crappy Marlins who are 21 and 20. The NL Central, you got the Brewers, 53 and 37. They're six games up on the Reds who are 46 and 42. Again, I don't believe in the Reds to be a contender, things like that. I already said my piece. The National League West, you got the Giants, one of the best records in baseball, 55 and 32. They're two games up on the Dodgers. So they got the best record in baseball, right? 
And this is the Giants. 55 and 32. Buster Posey just won on the DL, by the way. And they're only two games up on the Dodgers, who are 54 and 35. They're only four games up on the Padres, who are 53 and 38. That's a really good division. Now, the Rockies below, and the Diamondbacks not very good. The Diamondbacks are 30 games behind first place. That's the largest margin from last to first in baseball. Well, this is the Good Guy Grant Podcast. I'll be doing a show probably on college football here coming up soon. Um, I'll do a full episode on the college football preview. After that, I'll focus on divisions for the NFL to give my predictions as well. Uh, that'll be on a different show. I'll probably do one division per episode, but I'll mix in other things along the way. I appreciate you guys listening, uh, and uh, have a great rest of the weekend, and enjoy.